Good morning. My name is Glenn Jacob, and I'm here to say a few words about Worship Committee. What it is, what it does, and why I am a member of it. What the Worship Committee does is this, assisting with Sunday morning worship service, both in support of the minister, in support of guests, and in the creation of lay-led services. Our mission statement is... The Worship Committee's mission is to enhance the worship life of the church. This is accomplished through the support of the professional ministry with preparation, research, assistance, and co-creation of lay-led ministry. The mission statement is an ever-evolving document and can be updated or altered if or when the needs of the church or the needs of the minister change. It feels good to have been part of the committee for many years now. I was there when we created this mission statement. There was some really good discussion and debate among some really smart, wonderful people. The committee is comprised of many talented, organized, and generous people. Many have come and gone from this group since I have been a member. Each brings their own unique gifts to the table. And you do not have to be a worship associate to be a member of the worship committee. We have members who are primarily interested in supporting the music for Sunday services or are, are excited about helping with the design and decoration of our pulpit area. You might just have a gift for numbers and spreadsheets and wish to help keep track of the committee budget. Our regular expenditures consist of worship service supplies like candles and decorations and also to pay for guest speakers and musicians. The committee members that the congregation is most familiar with are those like me and Bob and others who uh, volunteer to be worship associates. I have found this to be really rewarding. It has been a joy to be up here in support of our called minister choosing chalice lighters, doing announcements, reading stories, doing the offertory, etc. I've really gotten to know our ministers better over the years being in this role. Reverend Maria Christina is a real pleasure to work with. She is very giving and a generous person and allows others on the committee to express their ideas and considers them all fairly. She is very open to accepting new ideas and new ways of doing things. It is also very exciting to support a guest speaker. It is a little more work to be in touch with the guest and make decisions about the order of service and to determine what service elements the guest wants to do and how much he or she needs the worship associate to do. And also to coordinate with the treasurer to make sure that the guest gets a check for their service. The most challenging and usually the most fun is when you get a chance to design and implement your own lay-led service. This is when you can bring your individual talents and creativity to the pulpit and maybe create a memorable and enjoyable worship service. For example, our leader today, Bob Meyerson, has created some truly remarkable services. He has a gift for writing and speaking he brings a great intelligence and humor to his work, not to mention his musical talent. When his banjo makes an appearance, it is a real treat. <laughs> Lori Miller has also done some fantastic services and uh, has done quite a few recently. Her knowledge of how to communicate to children, adults, and families is a pleasure to listen to. 
She brings some serious philosophy to the pulpit, but can also be a real clown, literally. <laughs> Bob Simone has coordinated services featuring music from spectacular Broadway shows. We have heard music from Hair and Godspell, and coming soon, Cats! <laughs> that will be an amazing service. When I create a service, I, of course, bring my interests to the sermon. It is the hope that the congregation will relate to and enjoy what I come up with. There is always a chance that one of us might try something and it could fall flat. We might fail to engage the audience. We might try something that folks just can't relate to. We might even be just plain boring. I hope not. I hope that I have... Uh, I hope that this doesn't happen, but it could. That is the risk we take when we put ourselves out there. I have participated in services that celebrate science fiction in general and Star Trek in particular. This can be used as a way to talk about our hopes and fears for the future. I have talked about improvisation and creativity. Hopefully these services may inspire others to be creative and less afraid to stand up and say something. I have done book communions, story readings, and comedy. I think the highlight of my entire time at this church was one summer service where, me, where we celebrated humor in all of its forms. Stuart and I performed Abbott and Costello's Who's on First skit, and we really nailed it. <laughs> to me, it was kind of like managing a perfect figure skating routine in the Olympics. Our timing, it was, it was just right. The congregation laughed like crazy. It felt so great to have been able to bring that laughter and joy to you all. Of course, you could debate about whether or not this service was quote-unquote spiritual, but I do believe that there must be a spiritual quality to being able to make a group of people happy for just a few minutes. So being a worship associate can be challenging, but it can also be very rewarding. Being on the worship committee is a great way to contribute to the worship life of the church. If you are between committees or maybe have not been on any committees yet, please feel free to check us out. Our meetings are currently scheduled for the third Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m., and they are open to all. Again, you do not have to be a worship associate to be on the committee. Being a worship associate is not a good fit for everyone. Some people have tried it and just not been comfortable. Personally, I am a ham. <laughs> I have gravita gravitated to this position after being in the skit improv group. Many of the skit group were also on the worship committee. But whatever your background, it just might be a good fit. It is an opportunity to assist the minister, to help implement Sunday services, and sometimes to even inspire, educate, entertain, illuminate, or maybe even bring joy and laughter. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. And as far as maybe having a clunker where not everybody in the place will agree with me, today might be one of those days. <laughs> The English language, especially as practiced in North America, is an extremely flexible tool for human communication. 
And since first coming to Star King 19 years ago, I've come to the conclusion, sadly or maybe not so sadly, that grammatical elasticity is nowhere is more obvious than in a Unitarian Universalist church. If religious institutions were rated by, their, by, by the public in their ability to manipulate language, I believe we would have to build more and bigger structures to hold us. <clears throat> we are great at using politically correct language, especially pronouns, in our speech. The pronouns describing race and sexual orientation and religion are now in the purview of the appropriate individuals, not those describing them. I'm very happy, and yes, I'll admit it, very self-satisfied that I've transitioned from most of the crude stereotypical language of my youth to embrace the ever unfolding evolution of a more civilized way of describing our co-inhabitants, our fellow human beings. Identifying a person as they wish to be identified is simple humanity in action. But there's another side of the effort to the adoption of contemporary way of speaking and it might not be evolutionary, it might be devolutionary in its long-range consequences. <clears throat> I like to say at the outset of this rant, I understand and support every individual's right to use the language in their own way, and I endorse their doing so. So I just ask that you keep an open mind as to my ideas. It's one person's view, of the benefits and pitfalls of religious language. <clears throat> I don't think I ever considered anything I was doing as a spiritual practice, at least not before I began hearing that term often used here at Star King. That was nearly 20 years ago, and I've even used the creative manipulation of words myself since coming here. I'm not sure exactly when I began using the words this way, but it has proven, at least to me, that so many words and phrases, especially in a free religious atmosphere, can be somewhat needlessly bent into innovative meanings. So when the then minister of this church proclaimed that her spiritual practice was folding laundry, it seemed plausible to me that doing something which required little thought and allowed the mind to soar elsewhere while performing the simple task could be considered spiritual. Now, I'm a person who gets great satisfaction out of washing and waxing my own car. It gives me pleasure to stand back and look admiringly at my handiwork. My current car is six years old and has never been through a professional car wash. So that, I thought, must be my spiritual practice. My thoughts could roam free while performing this necessary but really brainless activity. This religion stuff isn't as complicated as I once thought. So now, when I appreciate your, I will just pause to say why I appreciate your inevitable upcoming generous offers to nurture my passion by putting your vehicle in my capable hands. Thank you, but no, it just doesn't seem to work that way. But in my mind, the word spiritual, as applied to these mundane tasks of everyday life, 
might somehow detract from the powerful idea of the concept of spirituality. I think this phrase, spiritual practice, like so many others, can be overused to the point of losing meaning. Maybe I'm just a traditionalist old codger, but when I think of spirituality, it has a deeper, more soulful connotation than folding laundry or waxing a car. And I certainly don't come to this opinion from the standpoint of a person whose life has been steeped in religious tradition. So in the past couple of years, I've been part of the church's meditation group. Sitting silently and just letting thoughts enter my brain is a lot like many initial interpretations of spiritual practice. So is spiritual practice simply a version of meditation, but with some added physical effort? I hope not. Somehow the word meditation seems to be more appropriate for me. Cleaning my car has become a meditative practice, but certainly if someone, some similar level of activity still connotes spiritual to you, you may have my blessing. And using the word blessing is a testament to my mind, to my mixed views on religious language. Well, consistency or lack thereof has never been one of my strong points. What about the word practice? It too is rife with meanings. It can be a ritual, like brushing one's teeth, or it can be lead to a broader sphere. If I practice playing my banjo, it will lead to me playing better, maybe. That leads me into the term practicing spirituality. I think there's a distinction between spiritual practice and practicing spirituality. To be sure, they have similarities. And while I might be, to coin a phrase, over-nuancing the subject, to me there is a profound difference in the meaning of these two terms. <clears throat> in the past few weeks, and likely in the next few weeks, some deeply important subjects like family and parenting have been used in the context of spiritual practice. To me, those words can and should be appropriately applied to things like that. They are truly serious subjects. But when you begin to call every triviality, every waking act, and elevate them to the realm of spirituality, I think it begins to degrade the word. Elevating and, and the mundane to spirituality, I think, ultimately lowers the conception of spirituality. <coughs> Excuse me. If everything we do is on a, church, on a basis becomes a spiritual practice, I think the phrase loses any serious meaning. And yet, maybe this is an inconsistency on my part, I believe that practicing spirituality is a wider concept, one which more deserving of the somewhat holy word, spiritual. When I send a donation to the National Federation of the Blind or to the Center, or the Center for the Separation of Church and State in America, I believe I, can, I am practicing spirituality. I saw a man collapse and fall, leaving his car in front of the shopping center. I went over to offer my assistance. 
It was an automatic and natural response. I did not have to think it over. I believe that is practicing spirituality. It is a part of my faith to try in whatever ways I can to submit my spirituality outwards. Those actions are the uh, manifestations of my spiritual self, my religious faith in action, projecting for the fair, decent, and honest example of what I feel is the essence of my humanity. The spiritual practice of folding laundry or washing your car doesn't go outward. It is strictly a satisfying enterprise. Well, Bob, you've been talking for a while now, but you didn't get, you, I don't get your point. You've given some examples of the two phrases, but they seem to be identical in concept. Well, please don't go away. The coffee's not ready. We haven't had the offertory yet, and Maleva has a really nice postlude, so please stick around. <laughs> I think I could become almost hypnotized while cleaning my car. Folding clothes is not one of my strong points, but I can see how such everyday acts can be forever freeing to one's mind. But those types of activities could be equally beneficial to the individual with no sense of spirituality. They are inner feelings, inner facing experiences. They have little or no impact upon anyone but the person engaged in the activity. One needn't have a faith basis from which to undertake these tasks. Washing my car gives me personal satisfaction. It hardly is done in the spirit of benefiting mankind. I could be a person with absolutely no spirituality who might find peace and comfort in doing these satisfying yet menial tasks. I doubt, though, that any type of this type of activity has perceptively enriched the state of humanity or moved anyone towards compassion. Spiritual practice as defined by letting the mind soar while performing mindless tasks might change me for the better, but while it doesn't have to be, it can be a selfish act. Practicing spirituality from my perspective doesn't necessarily point inward toward myself. It is aimed outward. To be sure, I may derive some degree of satisfaction, feel good about myself when taking on the activities for others, but I hope that isn't the goal. I probably will never see the man I helped up from the sidewalk. I hope I'll never be seeking help from those few charitable organizations to which I contribute. It is important to me to assist those who assist others in organizations, for instance, FESCO here in Hayward. If I pass a street person and assist him or her with a small cash donation, it does make me feel good. But to that person, it may mean the difference in going to bed hungry or having their child go to bed hungry. But if I can't give that day, I can at least recognize that person's humanity by looking him or her in the eye and saying hello. Recently, we had a Sunday service which took the subject of family and made it the subject of spiritual practice. I don't disagree with that term. 
I think it fit. But practicing spirituality would be equally appropriate. Many occasions and activities lend themselves to either or both descriptions. It is somewhat difficult to recognize the distinctions, and of course it isn't mandatory that one do so. When the collection baskets are passed and I am able to put something in them, I am exercising a spiritual practice in the sense that I have made a pledge, and it can easily become an aspect of this act of placing money in the basket, but is also recognizing that the contribution is going outward into the larger community. It is helping others, not just me. I don't have to weigh whether I get more than I give. Both are occurring simultaneously. In that sense, I am engaging in both a spiritual practice and I am practicing spirituality. Since coming to Star King, I think I've come closer to practicing spirituality. I think I like to think I would be inevitably had come to this on my own, but I'm sure grateful for the help. I think we're all born with the sense of self-benefit derived from the inner need. It is part of our quest for survival, but the benefits required for others is, at least it was for me, an acquired attribute. An unselfish exercise in spirituality. Both are important, and at their least, they are practiced together. We live in a time of excess, and our use of the language is a significant part of this. This past few minutes was meant to encourage you to think about the terms we use. I'd like to give a couple more illustrations to drive the point home. I watch a lot of cable news, too much probably, ask my wife, she'll tell you. And the first time the programs were interrupted with the visible and audio com components blasting from my TV, I perked up and paid attention, breaking news. That conveyed a message to me, something really earth-shaking was about to be revealed. I don't think that the president playing nine holes of golf with Lindsey Graham is breaking news. Since that first exposure to trivia masquerading as news, the purpose has lost meaning to me. Most of the time, it's not currently breaking, nor does it need really meet the test of news. So when alien spaceships land in San Francisco, will I be able to apply the phrase to that event? Or will the overuse of the phrase have jaundiced me to the point of inability to separate the importance of contact with an alien civilization with that of a politician relaxing? The two events are equal importance? I don't think so. Another overused word I hear more and more is awesome. I've witnessed some really awesome things in my lifetime. I've seen the Grand Canyon and Mount Everest. I've watched as humans have traveled through space and landed on other worlds. I've witnessed the great steps forward in science, medicine, all life-changing. These types of experience to me deserve the title awesome. I don't feel that way about a new flavor of ice cream or a clever new jingle advertising sneakers. 
You, of course, may. <laughs> As noticed, to me, the danger is that words like spirituality and awesome begin to lose their meaning and their impact when they're used too often and too freely. Maybe we'll have to invent new words. Now that spiritual practice can apply to everything we used to call habits, and awesome has taken that place of partly good or pretty good. It is now everyone's individual right to decide for themselves what will or won't be awesome or spiritual, or even their concept of what really news is. I do, do however, wonder if the outlaw Jesse James looking upon, was looking upon bank robbery and train robbery as a spiritual practice. Of course, it's also your opinion, option, to think today's entire subject is or was not sufficient importance to even be considered for a Sunday service. For me, I find the nuances not only interesting, but worthwhile distinctions for me in my everyday life. It is all, of course, an individual thing. If you feel that watching the Cartoon Channel is a spiritual practice, I don't think anyone has the right to challenge you. That's your choice. It is new marshmallow cereal strikes you as awesome. It's a curious, but it's your choice. I think staring up at the sky on a clear summer night, that to me is awesome. I leave it for, every, for me to worry about the, the lament, and lament the degradation of these words and phrases like spiritual, awesome, and others like religious practice or even God. I think that the concept of preserving the power and deeper meaning of words by not overusing them is important. And that every effort, my friends, for me, I dare say, is to be the subject of an awesomely spiritual practice. <laughs> I'll end it now with three other phrases which we toss around here quite loosely. And I think using as many holy phrases as possible in just a few seconds, might be an illustration of the way to end, the right way for me to end. So I say to you, amen, may it be so, and blessed be.